Welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. This podcast started with me just kind of interviewing my friends, and now we're at a point where I'm interviewing people who inspire me. Every week you are going to hear how someone else identifies with the feeling of not fitting in and success. So let's just hop into the episode and thank you for all of your continued support. Hey listeners, here's an update from me. I am in the middle of an Oconus move to Hawaii, as you all know, so I am dark on interviews, but of course, if you're interested, hit me up, www.pleasedon'tkickmeout.com, and we can set something up when I am settled in Hawaii. But that doesn't mean I don't want your pitches. Please hit me up, that's great. Um, But just full disclosure, I am dark on interviewing. Um, for anyone incoming. I am only doing outgoing interviews for other podcasts right now, but I would love to collaborate. Thank you. my goodness, I am so excited to announce that of merch, it is my 90s fantasy. And I just have to say thank you to my friend, dear, dear friend, Lara, who is the second guest ever of my podcast. We just celebrated one year of the podcast. We now have a lovely website. She helped me help computer. Uh, and uh, so if you want to live your 90s fantasy, we've got mugs, we've got blankets, we've got fanny packs. We're, we're working on a denim jacket. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. So go to please don't kick me slash shop and buy some merch, y'all. This week's episode features Diane Winger. Diane Winger is an expert in imposter syndrome as well as ADHD and neurodivergence. It's a really cool episode. I'm really excited to share it. In fact, it really felt like I understand my neurodivergency so much more. Um, So I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, let's hop into it. Hey, how's it going? I am really excited. It is Friday and I'm about to go on vacation. So. I know. I am so excited for you. Um, of course, my listeners, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, the podcast about imposter syndrome. And today we're going to do something a little different. So Diane Winger is pretty much an expert on this topic, which is, of course, imposter syndrome, as well as helping clients with ADHD. So I'm really excited to have you today. And I'm excited to kind of pick your brain and see if we can give some valuable insights to my listeners. So yeah, how about let's you- start picking. Yeah, tell, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I used to be a psychotherapist for a really, really long time and I was good at it. I loved it. I like helping people. I'm a natural helper, but I did notice something over time that really started to bother me, which is that um, most women who have ADHD end up getting diagnosed with anxiety or depression. They end up developing eating disorders, addictions, all kinds of other problems. And even when they go for help, most therapists are not able to identify the underlying ADHD. So what ends up happening is that they don't get identified until much later in life than males do. And by that time, it's a much bigger problem to deal with. Yes. And so before you press record, you asked me when I got diagnosed and I got diagnosed last year and I wish it had been I'm going to be 32 this year. So I was almost 31 when I got diagnosed. And the reason I got diagnosed, I never knew I had this. It would have have made so much more sense, saved me so much of this depression and getting getting misdiagnosed and the way I was feeling. 
honestly, it was a relief to get that diagnosis and to start to understand my whole life and kind of see it through that lens of like, oh, that's why I do that. Holy cow. Um, so I- Be 50, 60 and finding out? Yeah, that would be crazy. Um, so for me personally, uh, it was, it was very, um, humbling. It was, it was nice to, to kind of find out my own, um, diagnosis and then, and then now being able to kind of, um, work with my therapist to understand like that plus like childhood trauma. <laughs> yes. And I'm glad you brought up trauma, Bianca, because I think it's, it's definitely plays a role in imposter syndrome. And just for the record, my personal and professional opinion, I'm not a therapist anymore. I was a therapist for a long time. I've been a coach for the last five years. And I think most people, most humans have imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. If you are in any kind of online business and you have to start quote, putting yourself out there, that adds an additional variable. If you are neurodivergent, meaning you have ADHD, you're on the autism spectrum, your brain works differently than the typical brain. That adds another factor. Trauma adds another factor. And if you have any other kind of difference, like you're queer or you have a learning dis difference or your physical difference, it, these things just keep adding up and just making imposter syndrome all that much more pronounced. Absolutely. And something that I found in the last year, and I want to get your take on this, this is kind of resoundingly true, is how people have come to combat it is when they start to do things more authentically for themselves. So they stop trying to play a role and they start maybe finding the thing or start doing maybe the thing that like that's been driving their soul, something they want to do. So like, for instance, me, I worked in marketing and I love being creative, but I also like didn't love what I was doing. And so when I got laid off, I started this podcast and now I feel like I'm truly doing what I'm meant to be doing, which is, you know, helping people and, or having these conversations. And I found an outlet for my ADHD, so to speak. And so I, I feel like that's helped me kind of combat it. So I'm more myself than I've ever been. And I feel a lot more clear and cognizant and just kind of calm and at peace. But you've also had to confront what actually happens inside of you when you start to drop the mask. Because mm -hmm. the reality is that human beings uh, have evolved a great deal on the surface, but neurobiologically, we're still, we have a lot more in common with our trouble sitting still, they're more creative, yeah. uh, they look different, whatever it is, they are going to start thinking something's wrong with them. And there are plenty of adults who will start reinforcing that notion and you start to lose your authentic self because you have to start conforming to the norm to belong to fit in and our ancient brains equate fitting in with survival so it yes. feels so threatening to be yourself when yourself isn't like all the other selves yes there you go I think the thing that's so hard is that human beings are wired for connection and for belonging and from a very early age, we know when we're different. If we're physically different, if we're mentally different, if we are different from the others in any way, shape or form, that starts to feel like a risk factor, mm -hmm. like a threat, like a problem. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of adults that will say, you know, like boys don't cry, you can't wear that. Uh, what are you thinking? You gotta sit down, stop bringing attention to yourself, all of these things and people who are different uh, in order to survive, have to start conforming to the norm. Well, this is the beginning of losing 
contact with your true authentic self mm -hmm. and starting to wear a mask just so that you won't get negative feedback. It can take people years mm -hmm. to even figure out who they actually are once they realize they're not the person that they have been, the role that they've been playing. It can be very scary. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I think, um, I think especially like for me, like starting out in a career and over time, I can relate to that so much. I think most of my listeners can relate to that is this societally we're like, okay, so like biologically we are put on this earth to procreate and, and, you know, we, we kind of evolved and evolved and evolved. So then we put in these societal constraints of like, this is what we deem to be normal. But what I've realized as an adult is there's no normal, there's no pathway. No one knows what they're doing. No one's got it figured out. And it's, and then deviating from that quote unquote normal standard, just, it feels it can be it feel very scary. Like my husband and I have been married for four years and um, four years this year. And the question was when we first started dating, well, when are you getting married? And then we got married. And then the question was, okay, um, when are you having children? And we don't want to have children. And like, people are like, that's weird. We cannot compute that. And so it's like, almost like we have these ingrained societal standards of like, first you do this, then you do this, then you do that. And we compare ourselves to others and we kind of like look at the, you know, other people's lawns and be like, oh, it's much greener than mine. And I think that also social media fuels into this comparison all the time. And it can be hard to kind of break through that and see that like what people are showing on the outside might not necessarily be what's going on behind the scenes. So that's something I've kind of really been thinking about the last year is that like authenticity is really a driving factor in my life. And this pandemic has allowed me to reach for more authentic things, more authentic connections and more authentic um, hobbies and people. Uh, so I, dropping that mask has been very hard, but beneficial for me. Yeah, and I think ultimately you're, you're absolutely right that just because all the other sheep seem to be moving in the other direction doesn't mean they actually know where they're going. Just like human beings are wired for connection, most human beings are not leaders. Most of them are followers. Most people want what they think everyone else wants. This has been proven in research studies over and over. So there are very few people who are kind of the you know two standard deviations from the norm who are the true outliers, the true visionaries, the true early adopters in every industry. They are the ones who they not only don't want what everyone else wants, they specifically want the things that no one else has even heard of. Mm -hmm. But that is a rare human being. Most people will go to a restaurant and either order what the other people at their table are ordering or ask the waiter, so what's popular on the menu? Because they wanna have the safe choice and the safe choice is what everyone else is doing. Well, when you are neurodivergent or you're queer or you just have interests and hobbies and things that are just different than the norm, there's really no one to turn to in greater society mm -hmm. to give you permission to be who you are. Ultimately, I think it usually, what, what I typically see, especially when I was a therapist, is that people would attempt to conform on the outside, but on the inside, they were miserable. Mm -hmm. And eventually they would develop anxiety. And over time, they would develop depression. A lot of them would start drinking or using or indulging in porn or whatever, whatever buffer mm -hmm. was helping take the edge off the pain. And then usually there's some kind of a breakthrough event where they're like, my life sucks ass and I really cannot do this anymore. 
And then they begin the uncovering process. If they don't manage to find other people like them, or at least people who like them as they really are, it can take a lot longer and be a lot more painful. And the online world is cruel, Bianca. Mm -hmm. There are like the trolls, the haters, the people who make sport of making other people miserable, telling people you're, you're worthless. You should just kill yourself. Like, oh my God, nobody would dare to do that kind of thing in real life. But in the Mm -hmm. online world, it's like everybody who goes there is a sitting duck in the shooting gallery and you really have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in a couple of viral things um, and I've never read the comments (laughs) because I just don't want to. I also, um, something that we've uh, have not really touched on is ADHD. So having ADHD and the rejection sensitivity. Um, Yes, this is huge. And I think, honestly, I've noticed lately, I'm an ADHD expert. I have ADHD. I have worked with people with ADHD for many years. I have passed ADHD on to all three of my children son diagnosed in childhood, daughter diagnosed in college. This is very, very typical. And if I hadn't been her mother, she probably wouldn't have known for many years after that. The reality is if you're a female and you have ADHD, you probably will never know. You'll know something's different about you and you'll know you're struggling and you also have these magical abilities kind of comes packaged together, Mm -hmm. but you won't know ADHD is the case. And like you, you know, you were actually lucky to find out in your thirties because the fastest growing group of people being identified as ADHD are actually women over 40. And it happens when one of, or more of their children get identified, Mm -hmm. but the whole rejection sensitivity thing, it just seemed like all of a sudden I'm seeing all over the internet, rejection, sensitive dysphoria, rejection, sensitive dysphoria, RSD, RSD. Do you have RSD? These are the symptoms of RSD. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, we do not need another diagnosis. <laughs> For the record, RSD or rejection sensitive dysphoria is not a diagnosis. It is not in the diagnostic manual. You cannot go get a diagnosis of RSD. And I really wish people would stop talking about it that way. What rejection, I call it rejection sensitivity. It is part of being a person with ADHD. It's because we are intuitive. It's because when somebody says they like us, but they don't, we will feel it. Mm -hmm. So I think we are ridiculously intuitive. The majority of us are very creative. Many of us are drawn into creative fields where you have to put your work on the line to make a living or at least share and contribute. And people can say things, but if you know that's not how they really feel because of our intuition, we'll be like, oh crap, this guy's not telling me the truth. So here's the thing about rejection sensitivity. And I like to just call it rejection sensitivity because that frames the understanding of what it is without adding, you know, RSD, like it's another diagnosis. Sometimes people get so attached to all these diagnoses. And I I think that can really lead you to limit yourself and have that knee jerk reflex that, well, I really can't do that because I have OCD, ADD and RSD. It's like, no, 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 no. You are sensitive, you are intuitive, you are creative, and you are gifted. And there's a certain neurological package that comes with that kind of human. When you feel or sense that you are being rejected, disliked, criticized, not believed, misunderstood. Oh my gosh, yes. Hello. It will trigger a reaction in you that's physical, Uh emotional, and mental. Can I give an example? 
Of course. So this week uh, I had something happen to me um, or two weeks ago, I had a very uncomfortable Lyft ride. I am a super user of Lyft. I've used Lyft for seven and a half years. You can already tell that I'm like a little heated about this, right? Mm -hmm. So they deactivated my account because this, this man, after rating him a one star and saying he was misogynistic and homophobic and he made me uncomfortable, he then reported me to Lyft and said I threatened him with a weapon and Lyft deactivated my account. What the hell? And so I responded back to the email. First of all, I burst into tears because I'm a rule follower and I don't like the idea of people not liking me, especially when I've been following the rules, right? Mm. And so this is, you know, rejection sensitivity here, right there. I'm like, I know I did nothing wrong. And so I emailed them back. I said my side of the story. They said, they said, oh my gosh, okay, yeah, reinstated my account. And I said, no, here's why I'm upset. You didn't even call me to like discuss it. You didn't look on my account of years and years of like, all the things, being a part of the founder pack, being that you just immediately deleted my account because you believed that I had a weapon. What, what in my past would ever indicate that? Do I look like the kind of girl that's carrying? Come on. <laughs> no, I, I, Karen, <laughs> I mean, look at everything that you stand for. Like, are you I a know, conservative? Are you a so, member of the NRA? Right? What the hell? And then I was like, I'm not. And then I was like, I, I'm, I'm upset that you said I'm not in your community standards when this man is not inclusive. This man is horrible, should not be picking up people in Hillcrest, which is a safe place for LGBTQIA+. So yes, that it's been sitting in like venom in my chest since it happened. And it was so upsetting. I think I'm now going to stop using Lyft and just only use Uber because that was that upsetting to me. And, and I would absolutely write about it publicly because here's the thing, when you're different, Bianca, you feel misunderstood yes. most of the time. The I work with female entrepreneurs who identify with ADHD strengths and struggles, whether they're officially diagnosed or not. And when we first start working together, I probably say 80% of my clients say something so often and they're completely unaware of it. They will be talking about something going on in their business or life and then say, does that make sense? <laughs> or if that makes sense, all the time. And so I stop and say, you are so accustomed to feeling chronically misunderstood. Yes. That you constantly need to check in with other people to see if what you're saying is coming across. Yeah. And that just shows how much we internalize. You know, listen, we are socialized as women uh, based on societal feminine conditioning that we want to be liked that is in our DNA, it's in our, our social conditioning and estrogen mm-hmm. from the moment you start having periods to the moment you go through menopause, your brain is literally under the influence of a very powerful psychoactive substance. Estrogen is called by specialists, the tend and befriend hormone, because it makes us want to do what other people want us to do. It makes us want to be like, to fit in, to put others' needs ahead of our own. If we were not under the influence of estrogen, the human race would have died out a long time ago because we nobody would have children and those that did would probably eat their young like hamsters too. So, <laughs> and, but for the record, I have three kids that are in your age group uh-huh. and, um, and none of them are having kids. I think it's, I think it's becoming more normal. Cause I look around very much well, so. one, my husband's um, in, the, in the Navy, he has a clearance. So he knows things about the world. And he's like, I'm not bringing a kid into this place. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but then also like, um, you know, it's just something that 
it's it's not it's not a no you know it's it's right now it's a no and like we're thinking about you know making it permanent for for my husband mm-hmm. um it it's just i thought i would turn 30 and i thought my mind would change and mm-hmm. it didn't and now i'm 32 and then so like i love kids i'm very maternal but i love giving them back here you go like <laughs> People say like, it's around this age is when you start really wanting it. And I've never had that desire. So it's, it's, it's weird for me to, um, to, to look around and see my friends pregnant. I can't relate mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't understand it, but I'm certainly so champion foam finger happy for my friends. And I, I have friends that are really struggling with infertility and it pains me yes. because, because there's no explanation for why they can't. And then the people that don't really want children end up always having them. So, so, so it goes <laughs> And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about being intentional because here's the thing, like I'm very outspoken about, um, what's wrong between my generation and yours. So many boomers are still saying you gotta go to college and you gotta do this and you gotta do that. And it's like, you know what, those things made a lot of sense and they worked for us. But the millennials, you guys have so much to teach us because the world you inherited from us looks so different than the world that we tried to pass on to you. Oh, yeah. You guys have to do differently. If I had it to do over, if I had seen how things were going to play out over the last 15 years, uh, I would have never sent my second son to college. I would have said, here's the same money I would have invested in your education. Go travel the world and figure your shit out. I would have given the same amount of money to my first son and said, start a business. And if that doesn't work, start another one. Like there's so many valid paths now. And I honestly think while I had to adjust to knowing that I'm not going to have any grandchildren, it is the right choice for each of them for different reasons. And I think the fact that society just tells us, the society doesn't tell us there's one way or there, there's a way to live. It tells us there's one way to live. So if you don't choose to follow the other sheep, you're made to feel bad about it. And so imposter syndrome is, is just another manifestation of what it actually costs to honor your own needs, wishes, wants, preferences, yeah. and priorities, instead of selling out to fit in. But biologically, everything in you is telling you threat, threat, warning, warning. Like if you, <laughs> if you decide to let your freak flag fly, there are going to be people that will not only criticize you, that you, there is a very real risk. So how do you know if you have rejection sensitivity? Well, I think, first of all, if you have ADHD, there's a very strong likelihood that you do. And if you have ADHD and any history of trauma, Mm-hmm. You most certainly do. It, it's like a compounding effect of our natural inborn need to be accepted and and not rejected. Like, don't kick me out, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel safe to be rejected. Literally, biologically, we think we're going to perish, um, or you know, fundamentally, we think we're going to perish. So, if you have ADHD, there's a very strong likelihood. The other people that have um, a lot of rejection sensitivity are creatives, artists, mm-hmm. performers, um, people who make stuff and share it with the world, entrepreneurs. And here's the inherent conflict. 
if we have a gift that we want to share with others, we want to support ourselves by sharing our work, our content, our writing, our sculpture, our textiles, our whatever, our copywriting, whatever it is, our graphic art, we have to risk being rejected. And yes. what ends up happening, what I see, because I work with entrepreneurs, they'll say, oh, I don't have re rejection sensitivity. I'll say, when was the last time you raised your prices? Or I don't have rejection sensitivity. Um, how do you feel about doing sales and marketing? How active are you on social media? Do you hide behind quotes, other people's quotes? Or are you willing to go on record sharing your opinion and risking people not liking it. There's a lot of insidious ways. And I think if you have made the decision to be a creative and to live the creative life, or if you've made the decision to have an online business, if you don't have rejection sensitivity, it would be surprising. But if you are neurodivergent, mm -hmm. you most certainly do. And here's the other thing, you have a therapist, I have been in and out of therapy much of my adult life, and I have been someone's many people's therapist over many years. But um, I think uh, sometimes these traits, like a very strong emotional reaction to real or perceived criticism, rejection, feels like abandonment. And if it's very yes. dramatic, if it's very dramatic, I mean, I, when I think back to some of the things I did when I was younger, it's shocking and horrifying. And now I just laugh my ass off about it. But at the time, it's like, oh, my God, somebody wants to break up with you and you lie down behind his car and dare him to run you over. No, I did you did not that. do that. I did. I totally Ooh. did. Oh, I totally I've, done, did. I've done crazy stuff like that, too. I, I hate using the word crazy, but you know, yeah. Or like, um, I always say that I'm loyal to a fault. And then if you do something to hurt you're me in some me, way, right? you're dead to me. Cancel That's forever. exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the thing is that I think people with ADHD and a lot of creative people oftentimes get the reputation of being immature because we often lead with our emotions. Well, our yes. emotions is the source of our gifts oftentimes and the expression of our gifts, whether you're a writer or a painter or a singer or a dancer or whatever you are. Um, your emotions is the source. But if we don't learn some techniques for managing those strong emotions, you will often have behavior that feels very out of control. Yep. And other people can really get scorched by that. I'm very verbal. My verbal skills are really my strongest gift. But when someone, uh, if I feel threatened by someone, literally, I will chop your head off with words and you won't even feel it, you know? And I'm not proud of that, but it's like, it's kind of a defense strategy. So sometimes people just avoid situations where they might be criticized or rejected. I've seen this with very talented people mm -hmm. who do a ton of work for free Ugh. or that all they do is barter and they never actually ask for money because that just feels, yeah. sometimes they'll say, oh, you know, I'm not into capitalism. Girl, you got to eat. Okay. And you can't barter at McDonald's. They get, they're going to expect you to pull out some green yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, but it's like, no, I, I, I really want to opt out of the whole capitalist machinery. Like I understand one of my kids is a totally legit hippie, but I think fundamentally underneath it is I don't want to ask for anything that I might not get. So I'm going to lower my expectations and lower my needs to the point where I don't oh ever have gosh. to ask. Yes. Okay. That kind of, okay. This lends into so many parts of my career. And 
I started my own business to work on my own because I was like, I want to help small businesses and small businesses. They don't have money to give you. They don't, they, right. don't, they can't help you. And I'm going to them and I'm saying, I want to do marketing. And it's like, you have to do it for free. Right. So right. I diminished my value to work on my portfolio. And that's what I told myself when I look back on it, I'm like, huh? No. Then when I was a marketing director, I was being paid $20,000 less than anyone in San Diego as a marketing director. And I was mm. promised I was going to make that by the end of the year. And my boss didn't follow through. I asked for my worth. And then I got laid off with the pandemic. And it was like on the way out, my boss said to me, and this is again, RS, rejection sensitivity, you weren't permanent anyway, because you're leaving because you're a military spouse. And they're counting on the fact that you don't have the resources to get legal representation for outright <laughs> discrimination. You know what? I'm collecting unemployment. Thank you, lawyer's title. <laughs> but you are a feminist too. Mm -hmm. And you stand up for marginalized communities. And so this is a whole other level of risk because in reality, we have a patriarchal culture mm -hmm. and that it just expects us to conform to the norm and expects us to shut up. And if we don't like the way things are, move to fucking Canada. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not but, much better. My one of my best friends lives in Canada and he's always no, complaining. <laughs> it isn't, but like seriously, you even though you're identifying re rejection sensitivity, at some point, Bianca, you say, okay, this is bullshit. I need to, yeah. I need to stand up for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like it doesn't always go so well. So like, what do you, do you think you need to do anything differently or would you do anything differently? Or do you just think this is the price I need to pay for being authentic and telling the truth? That's what I've come to realize at first. It was very upsetting to, to be laid off and and I understood, but now I look back on it and I'm like, <laughs> I had such nice things to say on the way out with that company. I was like, wow, they're doing me a favor. And I look back now and I'm like, nah, middle finger, dude. No, like absolutely not. F you. Like that was not okay. You, you, you took me for, a, you took my talents for a ride and you didn't pay me my worth. And even at the beginning, and then you promised me I should have had it in writing. Like, oh, so being a woman you were in exploited, the workforce. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Validate oh, that yeah. for you. I was like, experience. I'm done, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but, but it made me realize that even if I had gotten this quote unquote money amount, it wouldn't matter because they still didn't value me. Like that wouldn't make me feel any better. I still wouldn't be my authentic self. And like, it's not the, about the money. The, and here's the thing. It, it's, it's such a conundrum. Okay. On the one hand, yes, society is wired to prefer, I say that society is made by and for neurotypicals, and it's also made by and for straight, white, cisgendered males. Okay? <laughs> we both understand that. Yes, we do. There is, there is a reality that when you speak up, when you are honest, when you confront injustice, and I, I say everybody with ADHD is like a natural born social justice warrior, because mm -hmm. we somehow have a sense between right and wrong that is so accurate and our bullshit detector is really accurate. And you combine that with the impulsivity of a thought comes into your mind and goes out your mouth before you even have a chance. Oh my gosh, yes. No, we're, okay. So basically we have the verbal impulsivity. We have this whole social justice thing and we're very intuitive and accurate when there's some bullshit going down. So oftentimes the thought pops into your mind and comes out your mouth before you even have a chance to shut the gate. And more than one of us has been fought. 
So here's, here's something I think, a couple of things I wanted to make a point about that I realized I forgot to say. One of them is that a lot of people who have ADHD and rejection sensitivity get misdiagnosed as being bipolar or having a borderline personality disorder. And the reason for that is um, people who are bipolar have very strong mood swings and people who have a borderline personality disorder react in a very dramatic way to real or perceived rejection or abandonment. So being diagnosed with a personality disorder is no joke because there's really no cure for that. And it's very stigmatizing. So I think if you have ever been diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder and you have ADHD or ADHD traits or think you do, I would definitely get a second opinion as mm-hmm. more as being understood about rejection sensitivity. But, you know, I also want to point out this, that a lot of people with ADHD end up in sales careers and they're very, very successful. So wow. <laughs> I know it's an, it's a very interesting twist. I didn't twist. do well with it. They said, I tried, I tried to do insurance sales. They said, we don't need your insurance. I said, okay. And then I wanted to go crawl under a rock and die. But, but hold up, hold up. What if you were able to sell something that you passionately believed in and every time you offered it to somebody and they said, no, you just thought, well, you dumbass, you lose. And you just move on to the next one or even something more neutral. Well, evidently it's not the right time or they can't see the value. I just need to keep looking for the ones who do. Literally you train yourself not to take it personally because you believe in that product or service so faithfully that anybody who doesn't want it, you just think, well, they're lost. I would be good at selling Peloton. Yes. I would honestly, if they open a store on Oahu, I would be, I would sell, I can sell that bike in my sleep. You talked earlier. Yeah. We, we're getting into this for sure. Cause we, we both have the Peloton. Um, and I, uh, I was actually wearing my XOXO Cody sweatshirt. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, is he your favorite too? I love Cody. Um, he's also the nicest person I've met him. So So like I got to go to the mothership as we call it. How long have you had your bike? Just since December. Oh, well, welcome. I will never catch up to you. You are so far ahead of me. I, I honestly, selling your tailpipe as, as long as I used to live. hate working out, honestly hated it. And then I got into circuit training, hurt my shoulder. And then my husband was like, we should get this Peloton thing. And then I got it. And I like, couldn't understand how people had so many rides. And then I figured out, Oh, you stack them. <laughs> Dopamine. I have ADHD. <laughs> I can't sit in a 45 minute ride. No, ma'am. Uh, so I like to, I like, I like to do multiple instructors and, and just mm-hmm. kind of do that. So that's why I was just like, and then I would set goals. I'd be like, like last year I rode 545 miles in the month of June in honor of the AIDS life cycle. And then I donated $54 and 50 cents to the AIDS foundation. <laughs> and uh, you. so I did that and I was really proud of myself. And then, um, I also, uh, before, like the, the year before I had, I had 150 rides and then we were moving to San Diego and I knew that the bike was going to be in storage for two months waiting for us to get to San Diego. So I was like, okay, I'm at 150. So as soon as I get the bike back, I want to do, I want to get to 300 before 30. Right. So we moved in mm-hmm. April. And so I just started going, I was like, and then I, and then I hit 300 and I was like, I'm like three weeks away from my birthday. Okay. Now I want to hit 350, but by my birthday. And I hit that. Um, I rode with Cody and he, his birthday is June 8th. I'm June 9th. And I, I always love that about us. We're just like little birthday Gemini twins. <laughs> um, so then I was like, oh, I'm going to the studio with my girl gang um, where I'm the youngest. 
<laughs> I'm the youngest. Mm -hmm. I'm my friend Brittany's the second youngest. So, uh, and she's also a Gemini twin of mine. And so, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get it to 500 hit 500 and it's three weeks. And I'm like, I guess I'll do 550 in the studio. And he, I remember Cody, we, I was in the studio. First of all, I think I go gaga over the Peloton instructors and drag queens more than I ever have for a celebrity. And don't get me wrong. I've met celebrities. I've done really crazy things. I go more crazy for reality stars and Peloton and all of that because it's my fandom and my things that I love. So I saw Cody and I'm in the front row and he looks at me and I just go, ah! <laughs> and I start shaking, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like writing. And then I realized, oh shoot, I'm in the front row. Like everyone's going to see me. I didn't know this, but my husband decided to ride to hundred and he had a shout out. Well, I got a shout out and it's like, Hey, hot dog. And so when he said to give me that pizza, he's like, have I met you? He's like, or you, have you just had like a bunch of milestones in the last forever? And so now mm. every time I have a big milestone, I ride with Cody because he remembers me mm. and and also I have a fun, I have a fun leaderboard name. <laughs> you do. And you've got the whole cute tattoo thing to go with it. You and your husband. And yep. it's, okay. I want you to tell me what's your, what's a story about rejection sensitivity that you didn't really overcome and it still bothers you because something I know about you already from literally just meeting you is that you are very adaptable and very resilient, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't always, we can't always just stop, drop and roll and just shake it off and get on the roll again. Sometimes we, something really sticks in our craw and we keep ruminating about it and we still feel shitty about it a long time. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Do you have I, a story like that? I do. I do. I had a friend when I first moved out here, I used Bumble BFF to be friends and make friends. Cause you know, making friends is hard. I became friends with this girl. She was super obsessed with Disney. She was a holistic dog food, food salesperson. And, and she was what I thought was really cool. We were both originally from Minnesota. And I thought, oh gosh, like I made a really cool friend. We used to go to Disneyland together. And when my rescue dog last year got very, very sick, and he also bit a FedEx man. I knew that that was the last bite. He was had behavioral mm. problems. I knew that that was the last bite. We, I couldn't risk it. And I knew I had to put him down. Yeah. But at the same time, my breeder for, I, we were looking into Cavalier King Charles Spaniels puppies. Mm -hmm. um, and we knew that our dog wasn't going to live much. Like my dog was a rescue and he was like almost 12, you know, yeah. like he was, he was on his way out. And as, as, as painful as that was, I mean, I rescued him. He was my baby, but uh, you know, and I learned a lot. But I, we made the appointment to put him down on May 9th. So that's coming up. I'm a little, I'm going to have a hard time with that. Mm. Um, and uh, she, I asked her a question. I was like, hey, I'm, we're thinking about getting a puppy. And it just, it kind of coincided weird. It almost made it look just to, to anyone who was very like, ah, I can't believe you're getting a puppy. I kept it very quiet because I didn't want people to feel like I was deleting my dog to get a puppy. That wasn't the case. Yes. It just so happened. Yes. That we need to get rid of the, the old one and get it. the new one. Yeah. Right. And, and, and like, basically she sided with the dog that was being put down and her husband commented on all my posts, my, my tribute posts, like to my dog. And I'm like tearing up thinking about it. Yeah. Dog murderer. Oh no. And then she deleted me as a friend and it's like, what the fuck? Wow. And it sticks in my brain. I had that's, this is why I actually started therapy because I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Mm. Like, and like, I had, I lost a few friendships over it. And so like, I definitely like it ruminates 
and I'm, you know, I don't think I'm truly over it. Right. Like it just, it sits with me. It sits with me. It's a trauma. It's still like, do you think there's, you know, and I think sometimes rejection sensitivity can be really profound Mm -hmm. in situations where there's some small part of us that worries that the person is right. Like, right. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, um, like we just had to put my 16 and change dog down. Oh, I'm she sorry. Very but old. Long yeah. life. Very long life. And right up until the moment of the injection, my husband was still uncertain that it was the right. I mean, she was so impaired oh. and I was accommodating him the last few months of her life by, you know, kind of waiting for him to be ready, but she was so impaired and he still wasn't ready on the moment of the appointment. And I felt so torn and so hurt and angry that he wasn't able to be there and support me to let go of this companion of 16 years. And I felt judged and I felt rejected and I felt criticized. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and then I really, I mean, I, it, I was very, very sad, but I was thinking, am I? Because he said, you're just being selfish because she's inconvenient. Mm. Now, I had a very abusive, I'm adopted. I had a very abusive adoptive mother. And uh, a couple of her favorite accusations were, you're selfish and you're ungrateful. Ugh, and, my mom um, says that. <laughs> yeah, I love, ingrate, ingrate was one of her favorites. I'm like, that's such bullshit. Anyway, um, so when somebody insinuates or flat out says that I'm being selfish, there's a part of me that's like, am I? Mm -hmm. And I think when we feel we have a big dramatic response um, to real or perceived rejection, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's because some part of us doesn't really feel certain if what we're being accused of is actually true. And so I think it's a good place to go. Like, am I? And, And sometimes we can even turn it around and say, it is actually human nature to be selfish. In Mm -hmm. fact, I use the word self-focused. We are born self-focused. Look at the behavior of little kids. And then we are socialized to start paying attention to and caring about others, but we are born self-focused. So I don't think that's should be such a criticism, but I think Mm -hmm. sometimes the, the notion that it's also Bianca, I think it sounds like in the two situations that you've shared during this call with the Lyft driver and Mm -hmm. with this woman, both situations, you didn't have any recourse. The person could have said it to you, but they did it publicly and then cut you off without recourse. I think that really fuels rejection sensitivity because not only do we have this strong emotional reaction to being criticized and judged and maybe even like abandoned, but we're not given the opportunity to speak on our own behalf. Yeah. And you're just sitting with all that judgment and no opportunity to like tell your side. Yep. So I think sometimes it's really useful, even if it means put, pulling up your big girl or big boy pants and standing in front of the mirror and literally talking back to that person as though they were there might sound silly, but That's good advice. No, it I'm can really, it. <laughs> really, I, it can really help or even yeah. record yourself and play it back because your brain can grab a hold of that and use that to start yeah. rethinking the event so yeah. that you can release it. 
Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. And I know you, you know, got to hop off and, and do things. So as we're wrapping up, uh, I mean, I, ho- I hope my listeners got a lot of, val- I mean, I know they got a lot of valuable insight. For, 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 I got a lot of valuable insight. Now I'm going to call you a friend forever. And I, I'm so excited that you get to take a trip. Good for you. You deserve it. Um, and so uh, I love to give my guests the floor to promote whatever they'd like to promote. So go for it. Well, I think if you like the sound of my voice and you like what I have to say with it, um, you should check out my podcast, which is the Driven Woman podcast. It is meant for female entrepreneurs who are uh, finding a gap between where they are and where they want to be with or without ADHD. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Coach Diane Wingert, and that's Diane with two N's and no E's. I love it. Diane, this was just so nice. And it was like heartwarming. And despite my technical issues, which I'm going to have to get this master audio mixed, I am so grateful that you and I connected. And I think my listeners will feel that too. To my listeners, of course, all of this will be in the description um, where you can find Diane. No ease. Let's just keep that real. <laughs> Two ends. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And of, of, to my listeners, of course, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, the podcast about imposter syndrome. And I appreciate you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful trip and the rest of your day. Thank you. And I look forward to uh, riding with you on Peloton. Yes. I can't wait to high five. Connected there too. Okay. Ah, Love it. Have a great day. Bye. Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. In this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use P-D-K-M-O to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter pdkmo at checkout to receive 15% off your order. This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories and going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.